Welcome to the Student Entrepreneurs in Dentistry Podcast, where you get to learn the foundational principles, concepts, and strategies of business and dentistry. Enjoy the episode. What is going on? My name is Christian Hart and I am your host. Today's episode, we are hosting the Dental Guys. That is right, the Dental Guys, host of the Dental Guys podcast, who always drops some clinical pearls and has been extremely valuable. And uh, you'll hear that multiple times throughout this episode. And that is Drs. Wes Mullins and Drs. John Rogers. In this episode, we talk about how young dentists can get a kickstart on their clinical journey by taking advantage of a lot of good research and learning how to implement the things that you learn throughout your career into your practice. We also talk about how the dental guys met and how that plays such a huge impact on their growth as both clinicians, as men, and how people can reach out and network in order to do the same things in their careers. And lastly, we touched on the most important clinical continuing education that early grads can take in order to improve their abilities as a clinician. So with that being said, enjoy the episode. You are tuned into the Student Entrepreneurs and Dentistry Podcast. We're here, of course, with Michael Tulupis. Hey, y'all. How's it going? And two of... The dental guys, the original dental guys, the real dental guys, uh, Dr. John Rogers and Dr. Wes Mullins, thank you, thank you for joining us uh, this evening, hosts of the Dental Guys podcast and uh, creators of their uh, awesome CE they got going on. I've heard about the restorative driven implants, so hopefully we get to hear a little bit about that tonight. So gentlemen, like I said, thank you all so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, Great thanks to be for here. having me. I like on. what you guys are doing. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, hey, before we hit record, we were just you know speaking a little bit, and um, you know there's there is a large amount of dental students, uh, especially I know of course my classmates, who listen to you all's podcast and take what you say into clinic every day. I kid you not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And, and, and awesome. use it and use it and learn from it. And I mean, seriously, I mean, sometimes, you know, we'll talk about it and like, Hey, that worked like this work, you know, i got to try this next time. This is that. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's really great to, to hear you guys, of course, to meet you guys and, uh, to, to get your perspective every day in my ears. So, uh, that's always, you fun. know, John, John and I talk about this a little bit and it's, it's like, we, we pinch yourself just a bit, you know, and say, what we're going to say here, people are going to take um, seriously. And so, you know, our podcast, uh, for those that um, are uh, listening to this, uh, we record it one off. And so it's pre-produced um, in a sense, but it's, but it's recorded in one. There's not really any cutting at all. So, it's interesting because we we uh, know each other so well uh, because before we started podcasting we obviously chatted quite a bit um, but it's but we're very I don't know how careful we are John in what we say but I mean <laughs> um, you know we as time has went on I guess what I'm saying um, and we realize we have more listeners 
that are taking things to heart um, um, just realize that there's a lot of behind the scenes talking. And yeah, because it's well, a lot of responsibility for sure. Yeah, so we're humbled that people would even take what we're saying and, and apply it. And that's really what it's about. It's about sharing what we know and what we figured out and what people have told us and what, what works in our hands and helping other dentists out to achieve uh, the next level. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, like, what do you all just like typically send articles to each other or just kind of pick a topic for the week kind of thing or the month or what is what is kind yeah. of like you all's process and, and, and what you all want to talk about? Yeah, it's it. A lot of times we uh, we will well. It it starts a lot of times with either a case <clears throat> that we might be working on uh, that's challenging us to have to find solutions, or it starts with a journal article that one of us reads <clears throat> that really challenges something that either confirms something that we have seen. Um, that we want to talk about and, and talk about why we do what we do, or it challenges something that we thought we knew um, to maybe think differently. And uh, so, yeah, we have this this whole thing started a long time ago as we got to be friends with a Google Hangouts thread <clears throat> that has been ongoing for several years now. And uh, it's just sitting on our desktop at our office computers and on our phones and something comes across. Uh, one of our desks or um, an x-ray or something like that, we're always sending that back and forth to each other. And so then we'll get together and we'll kind of hash out, you know, is this something that's sort of worthy of the show? Um, if it's something that's really messing with us or something that's really challenging us. Uh, and, and then we really plan out. I mean, we go, we, we, we plan weeks, sometimes months, a lot of times months ahead. And we'll say, all right, so, you know, Wes, your job is to, you know, go do a PubMed search on this and I'm going to go do PubMed search on that and let's come back together and let's hash it out uh, as far as what the research says on this or research the products that are out there that are, uh, you know, to find out which one's best. Um, so that it, it's definitely a lot of uh, behind the scenes, but oftentimes, yeah, it just starts with like one thing that one of us sees that kind of goes, makes us think, okay, so why do we, why do we do bonding like that? Or why do we do endo like that? Whatever it might be. And, and, uh, you know, we have to go back over like, well, how did we get there? Because we've been doing it for a while. Like we've seen all the CE, we've read all these articles. Let's actually like go through for somebody who doesn't know that and trace through how we got to where we are today. I think that's really interesting because I, you know, just been thinking of lately, you know, going out and after graduation, I've been in a lot of older doctors' offices and they have, you know, just stacks of journals just all over the place. And then, you know, oftentimes younger doctors, you go and it's, you know, crisp, clean, don't really have journals around, that kind of thing. So, you know, the popular journals, have you all been following them kind of since you graduated? How did you really kind of dive into that world and keeping up with the latest and, um, you know, most evidence-based industry? I think, you know, the thing with journals <clears throat> is trying to cut through what is um, clinically relevant and... So one thing that happened whenever I finished school was that I did a general practice residency, and I guess how it really influenced me from a journal standpoint is we would have uh, Tuesday night was journal club night. It's also the night that I got addicted to sushi, um, <laughs> and um, but we would um, basically meet together, um, have dinner, and our resident director, he would always ask the question, okay, is this clinically relevant and what pearl 
or what can we take back and is are we going to change something because of this and what it what it did for me I'll speak on my end and what journals it allowed me to kind of weed out or or maybe just any article on how to weed it out is that how is it relevant um, is it valid um, is it a big enough sample size you know we've talked about this on the podcast you know at five years you really kind of want to turn and look at a study that's five years long and say hey look over there and maybe consider making adjustments to what you're doing if you look at a study that was ten years long you know, you might say, I better change if I'm not already doing that because that's good evidence. And so right. those are things that um, that really influenced me and in how, you know, I evaluate an article and whether it's relevant or not. John, what are you thinking? Yeah, you know, I, I started off when I got out of practice, <clears throat> um, Dennis, that I practiced with, um, he, he read – basically one, one journal, <clears throat> the journal of prosthetic dentistry. And, um, we had done a lot, a lot of, uh, discussion about research when I was, where I went to school, it was just a, a big focus. And so we always talked about be, being critical of research and how to, cri- how to be critical on research. So I started looking through this journal and, um, realized that it, the reason he was reading it is because it was relevant. It was relevant to his everyday practice of dentistry. And so I started going out and, and becoming part of some organizations. And I didn't really know at the time uh, which ones were the best. And so, you know, you start going to meetings, you start hearing people speak, and you start to see some of the same speakers showing up in research. And you start to realize that some of these people that are out there speaking are um, they're clinical dentists who are applying research some of them are actually doing research and are clinical dentists, and some of them are pure researchers. And then there's another group, which I think is actually the majority of a lot of speakers out there. They're just speaking, and they're just doing what works in their hands. And I think what um, I was really struck by is the need to not be focused on what just works in someone's hands, that that's the trend of the day or on that person's skill, and it may very well work for them, but is it actually validated? And so I started trying to follow the people that I felt were following research or doing research, and those same names start showing up. And then you start finding that they're quoting a lot of the same journals. They are, they're, these same journals keep coming up. And so I started subscribing <clears throat> to a couple. I kind of subscribed to a bunch, and then I cut back to what the ones that I feel are the most relevant. And I'll just kind of say what those yeah, are. Nice. And I think, Wes, I think Wes and I both kind of read basically the same things. We, we feel that for most clinical dentists uh, that are in general dentistry, the Journal of Prosthetic Dentistry is probably one of the best, most relevant journals. Not only does it have a ton on pros, ton on removal on fixed and implants, but it also has a, if you've listened to our show before, you know, we talk about it has this indispensable annual review of all dental scientific literature into things that are relevant for somebody who's a prosthodontist or general dentist. So it's going to cover the highlights in endo, the highlights in TMD, the highlights in sleep uh, and airway uh, from that year, the things they thought were relevant. And it's a jumping off point for me to start to look at other journals. So Journal of Prosthetic Dentistry is great. If you're into implant dentistry, uh, International Journal of Oral and Maxillofacial Implants, we refer to as JOMI, I-J-O-M-I, is indispensable uh, and is very relevant. Um, And then the International Journal of Periodontics and Restorative Dentistry, IJPRD, um, if you 
PRD are the most useful month to month, week to week, uh, very relevant and, and will get you a good jumping off point. If there's a particular subject you really love in those, there's journals that are much more in depth on one of them. They're always good quality research. They always have excellent photography and they're almost always uh, where some of the concepts get really borne out. So, and again, a lot of those authors, you see them kind of cross publishing, you know, over time. And those are some of the same people that Wes and I try to go see speak because it just kind of works out that those same people that are publishing in those journals often are kind of at the forefront of what's going on in, in the clinical side and the research side and actually teaching techniques too. Yeah, I think the thing is, is that one learning how to evaluate good clinical um, research is important and understanding too, that there's always probably a bias um, opinion in that, that most of the clinical research has been funded and it has to buy some kind of corporate partner. And so you do take that into account. Has to be published in these particular journals. There's a requirement that they have to list any, um, any funding from corporate dentistry. And so that helps you to kind of you know, discern how relevant or how accurate their reporting might be. Um, and so, you know, I think a combination of for us is that one, you know, we, we value these journals. Um, and then when we read these journals, the bibliographies inside the research, you start seeing a trend of the same people showing up. And then whenever you evaluate that person as a speaker, that's presenting on the, on the stage, you're so well read that you almost um, understand, you know, what they're going to say, you know, and you next. And, and it kind of verifies, it's kind of like, I'm well read on this subject, so therefore I can understand what that person's telling me. And then now can I go back and apply it? Um, and that's how we basically, the, the, how our podcast is actually produced it's produced exactly like this. We'll find a journal article and we'll vet it. And, and we won't talk about, you know, if we'll, we might talk about it if it's terrible, uh, if it's a terrible article and how bad it is, but um, this is how we do it. We sit around and we, we hash it out. And, and uh, to be honest with you, a lot of them don't make it. Most don't make it, won't make it to our show because it's, it's, it's trash. And so kind of going on with that, so for like a new doctor trying to establish these habits, you know, a dental school, I feel like evidence-based dentistry is kind of served to us on a platter. So for somebody trying to like establish, you know, a healthy relationship with staying up um, on evidence-based dentistry, are these, you know, when you first got out of school, I know it might've been different residency, couple with journals every week. Did you just pick them up when you had some spare time? Or well, when you, when you, well, when you first got out of school, you got plenty of time on your hands. <laughs> Let me just tell you, because you're going to be, uh, you're not going to be as busy, you know, as, as you are later on. Maybe you will be, but I think most of the time, you know, we get out of school. I think Wes and I both, you know, we were on different paths when we first got out, but we both had time to work on ourselves, you know, work on our knowledge and our clinical know-how. And that might mean going and spending the afternoon at your specialist's office, watching them do what they do. Or that might mean, you know, going and, and uh, trying to do some networking, but that also might mean setting aside time to read. And me, as, as, you know, exciting as it sounds, 
Um, you know, I don't go out to lunch. I, a lot of dentists are like, they're, they go out to lunch every single day and they're going to go, you know, spend 20 bucks on lunch or whatever. I bring my lunch every single day as nerdy as it sounds. And I, and I'm not saying I read journals all lunch cause I got plenty of other stuff to do, but I do, I carve out time during lunch. And then, you know, I believe in a morning ritual. I believe everyone should have a morning ritual. And I think that that morning ritual should involve some type of exercise, some type of quiet time and some type of time reading something that will benefit you. And that could be, you know, personal growth or that could be professional growth. And so I firmly believe that if you don't have time during the day, uh, or even if you do, that you should establish a morning ritual. And part of that should be reading something that is going to help you grow your professional career. And I think that journals are one of those things, as well as other things like business books, personal growth books. Um, But as you get into your career, you get busier. Um, I think that things like stealing 15 minutes to read, you know, a couple of good articles. Uh, my, my team at the office knows that if they come back to my office during lunch, I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm going to be probably reading something. And I know that sounds like super nerdy, but I like it. It's something that allows me to feel like I'm staying sharp, uh, and, and being able to, to do good stuff. And I think that as professionals, you know, dentists, we have to remember we're doctors, we're professionals. And you better believe the oncologists are doing that. You better believe that the surgeons are doing that. Uh, they're at the they got to be. And I feel like that's what we want uh, dentistry to be, too. We're, we're just as we should be just as responsible for our clinical growth and professional growth as any other medical specialty. For some reason, it's almost like surprising. Like people are like, well, why do you read journals? I'm like, man, every other medical specialty, if they said that, they would be drummed out. I mean, imagine a surgeon who hasn't read a journal about how to do, you know, a stent in five years. You know, I mean, they'd be they, they would never make it. But but dentistry is interesting in that way. And there's a lot of people that are not reading past dental school and kind of just skating by. I think the biggest concern we have, gentlemen, that we see is that most dentists, and this is a quote from MTS Manji, practice to the first year out of dental school. Mm-hmm. Now, what that, what that means is that most dentists don't grow professionally, technically, personally, beyond one year out of dental school. And so to me, that's embarrassing for for our profession, but also the danger in that is that uh, John and I talk about practicing inside of a vacuum. Because dentistry is very unique as a medical profession, most dentists practice not in a group practice setting. And so medicine has actually, as much as maybe group practice seems like it's not a great idea, Um, for medicine in some respects. In some respects, it is amazing to be able to walk down the hallway and actually bounce some ideas off somebody. Because, and most of us don't have that ability. And so we have no collaboration. And so, you know, you heard John and I kind of come full circle here. We talked about you know, what happened to us is that we found some, we found each other and it led to a chat conversation that's never ended. And so therefore we challenge each other professionally. And so we're always talking about what we're going to do and bouncing each other's ideas because I don't ever want to become stagnant. If I'm not dynamic, then I risk practicing to the last year that I grew. And like John says, one of the things that that changes my day is that I I wake up every morning and I have a a time, 15 minutes, 
set aside. After I've showered, I sit down, I drink my cup of coffee, and I reflect on the day, and I have some personal growth time. And 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 I, it's kind of weird, John, because we haven't talked about lunch around this conversation. I don't go to lunch. Um, if I have my 30-minute break or whatever, my 15-minute break, I'm in my office, and I'm reading, you know, and I'm studying, or I'm, I'm developing my team, and because I'm committed. And so the commitment is, is what it takes. And that, that's the hard thing is that are you committed to a lifelong learning um, profession? That's what it is. That's what continuing education is. I mean, my goodness, we're forced to do continuing education, forced to. And so why not enjoy it? Well, and, well, and the other thing that I think, you know, that people often <clears throat> neglect with this and why, you know, they talk, you talk about how some people struggle to establish this habit. and you know, it kind of blows my mind because, you know, whether you look at it from an altruistic viewpoint of just wanting to be the best for your patients, which I think is the reason we should, you know, really want to do it and to be the best just personally. Um, if that's your motivation, I think that's the purest motivation for trying to be the best at what you do is because you just believe you owe it to yourself, owe it to your patients. But, you know, even if you want to talk about practical and even business, or even if we want to call them quote unquote selfish reasons, um, the most successful, highest producing, highest collecting, richest dentists that I know are all excellent clinically, with a few exceptions of some really good business women. So there are times where you can just run a business and you can make money. Uh, despite what the business podcasting world would like to tell you, that is actually very uncommon. Most people that are business people in dentistry don't do a very good job. But uh, the people that are clinically excellent and devote themselves to that, I, there are very, very few times. And Wes and I have really, as we've gotten into this, a lot more lecturing and speaking, and we start to meet some pretty smart people and clinically gifted people, they're all just crushing it, not just in a clinical and excellent standpoint, but they're doing very, very well personally. And so I think that, you know, getting into these habits of learning and getting better at dentistry, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it should be just because you want to be better. But even if you want to just make more money or if you want to be more successful, you want to open yourself up to do more of the things that you do love. If you don't love dentistry as your number one thing, well, I think it opens that up. And I think we kind of forget about that. And we think that they, maybe there's a shortcut to that. And, there, and there's just rarely does that really work out. And I think that dental students many times kind of get, especially these days in the podcasting world, and we can get in the high weeds on that, and I won't do that unless you want to. But, you know, there's a lot more discussion these days about how to get rich in dentistry through business things than there is about just learning how to do a proper composite or a proper root canal. And Wes and I firmly believe that if you really want to be successful and make a lot of money in dentistry, that is where it's at. And the rest of it can come later, and maybe you can do more with business. Uh, and we think business is very important. Don't get me wrong. But there's just an interesting skew in terms of what people are hearing about. Business is so pervasive these days because it's so there's just so many people selling something. But, uh, man, what we're selling is just uh, doing a great job. We think that's the thing that's actually going to make you more money and make you happier in the long run. Yeah. And, and you know, you all use a phrase that has become almost synonymous with you all's podcast. And you talk about taking it to the next level. And I think for me, you know, it, it, dentistry, 
I was drawn to dentistry first by the idea of, you know, being in control of your own life, running your own, you know, your own practice. And then when I started to get into, you know, dental school and, and meet uh, dentists out in the um, community and, like you said, uh, all these guys and girls that are um, doing great things, you start to realize that not everybody has the same practice and not everybody does the same kind of dentistry. And just like you all were talking about, there are so many things to learn about in this profession that there's no possible way that you can ever, you know, sit down on your laurels and rest easy knowing that you know everything. And so what I'm starting to realize now is that you really have to extend yourself to go out and learn about this or that or this technique or that kind of dentistry. And it takes time and effort. You know, the, the guys and girls out there that are crushing it out that I know of that we've talked to are spending tens of thousands of dollars a year in, in uh, continuing education. And, you know, we've talked about this on podcasts in, in the past with, with a number of different uh, clinicians. And it's just amazing. Um, and, and now I think it's better than ever to, to have that access and that exposure to people that are doing that and to connect with guys like you who are doing it on a high level and, and to realize that, okay, this is what it takes to take it to the next level. So with all that said, <laughs> uh, what does it mean to you all when you all talk about taking it to the next level and the kind of follow up from that, how did meeting each other allow you all to take it to the next level individually? Well, I'll, I'll maybe start Larry, with that. Start? So let, me tell the, let me tell the story of how we met. Cause that's maybe, that's <laughs> that's maybe like story. the first, the first start to that. And then, let I'll let Wes speak to kind of what next level means to us because that's something that we talk a lot about. Um, so Wes and I both practiced uh, about an we we practiced about an hour away from each other, hour hour and a half, and in Eastern Tennessee, and uh, we we had practiced for uh, several years, uh, I think six seven years, and did not know who each other were, and um, we had. Uh, which isn't surprising. I mean, we're, we're far enough away. Uh, and I'm in a small town. Wes is in kind of a mid-sized city. And um, the closest, uh, one of the closest oral surgeons to me who does a really good job is in Wes's city. And, and it just so turns out that Wes and I had been following some of the same path without realizing it. We had, got, we had used two of the same dental labs for years, which is kind of rare, rare because one of them was in Chicago. Like for us both to have used that was weird. One of them was in Asheville, just weird coincidences. And this oral surgeon we had both been using for years for the same reason. You know, I was sending my patients an hour away for certain procedures because he was, he was really, really good. So I, I get a call from my surgeon um, one day and he says, uh, uh, this implant company, is wants to send you and me and this other guy to Sweden to their world Congress. And, um, I was like, come on, you know, this worth the catch, you know, I have to buy like a timeshare somewhere or whatever. And, uh, he said, no, it's legit. All expenses paid. And we're paying for your wife and your daughter, who is a, an infant at the time to come too. And every, everything's paid for it. Hotel travel. We're like, what in the world is going on here? And he goes, so there's this other guy that's coming and his name's Wes Mullins 
and you're going to love him. And his wife's coming and, you, you, you know, your wife can hang out with her and my wife for this seven or eight, nine days in Sweden. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be horrible because, you know, <laughs> dentists, dentists are weird, man. Dentists are weird people. And there's some dentists out there who you just, you know, they just got some weird habits and things. And I just like, man, I'm going to meet these people. I'm just it's probably not going to be good. And then my wife is like. And I got to meet this other dentist's wife and, you know, dentist wives have got some interesting little things sometimes that go along with them that uh, sometimes are uh, kind of fun to deal with. And so she's like, she's probably going to be a supermodel and she's going to anyway. So we go. So we fly to Sweden. We both are in the same hotel. The surgeon didn't even come till the next day. So he couldn't even like introduce us. So I meet Wes down in the lobby with my wife and his wife. And we're like, Hey, I guess you're this other guy. And he's like, yeah. So we instantly, like literally instantly just hit it off and found that we had all these just things in common, not only about, uh, kind of our background a little bit, but about, uh, what we're, what we were doing in dentistry and even our families, you know, our wives got along incredibly well. They spent, you know, we pretty much, they pretty much left and went and did their thing for like the week while we were uh, taking continuing education and hanging out. Um, and so from that and our surgeon was there and now, you know, we got this relationship with the surgeon that was able to just really, uh, blossom into us having great discussions with him and we still work together on some really cool stuff. So that, that was how we initially met and, you know, we got back and it was like, now I had somebody that I felt like I could talk to about some things like he had already gone down certain paths that I hadn't gone down and I hadn't gone down certain paths that he hadn't gone down, but we were both kind of on similar trajectories and we both had enough knowledge that we could have like a, a high level conversation. And then we started going to CE together, various things. And that's kind of where this all came from. So it definitely made us uh, have to up our game together because we're like, okay, we're actually, these are, this is somebody else who's doing it right. Uh, and, and all that from, from this, this kind of almost seemingly chance meeting, which we don't think was really by chance, you know, that we, that we ended up, uh, meeting each other. So, so that was, that was the story of how it came together. And Wes, I'll let you talk about what next level means to us and kind of what that's, what that's all about. You know, I'll never forget us walking down the street just, uh, when we were there and it was fun to question, you know, one another, uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And what should we be doing? And that kind of led to this whole thing of like, well, what's the best? You know? Yep. And and so I've kind of been this, and John has too, strangely enough. It's funny when our families get around, even my, my parents get around John, they're like, is, is that your twin? You know, it's like <laughs> the, the thought process and like always like, okay, doing the research to find out whatever the best is. Like, you know, I'm the kind of person, and so is John, that, you know, we're we're stupid because we read Consumer Reports, you know? <laughs> I mean, who has a subscription to Consumer Reports out there and reads it even if they're not buying appliances, you know? And so um, whatever the best is, you know, it was kind of ingrained in us, just our personality types, to always look for the best. So mediocrity is something that drives myself and John batty. And, and I'm not saying that, 
you know, obviously all of us kind of get in areas in our life where we become mediocre and we don't even know it. And so I just don't ever really want to choose mediocrity, you know, and, and dentistry is super hard. You know, even tonight I was finishing up and I was doing uh, a couple of occlusal, you know, composites in, in a quadrant and, and, and there was a point in time where I could have accepted mediocrity on this margin and I chose to take it to the next level. So what was that? You know, what was that in that moment that says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take it up a notch and make it even better. And so that's how dentistry becomes fun, is that whenever you challenge yourself, no matter whether it's, I'm going to do a better job at tissue retraction today, and take it to the next level, um, or I'm going to do something to better what I'm doing. And so um, there was a, a, a creed that that I came up with years ago for my practice. I won't read the whole thing, but in the synopsis of the creed says that leave your career tonight knowing that what you did today was better than yesterday and that you can even do better tomorrow. Now, honestly, guys, um, Michael and Christian, it's interesting that to think that we call it a practice. So shouldn't you be going to the next level each and every day? There is repetition involved in dentistry, but looking at what can I do better? And so the next level for us was kind of a natural saying. I don't even know how it began. We'd have to go back and look at the first time we said it in the podcast, to be honest, John. But what it morphed into was next level. Like, let's next level this and actually figure out what we can do and how we can make it better. Yeah, so and, and, this, and this wasn't something where we, where we, our focus was <clears throat> that next level has to be the same for everybody, you know? Right. Next level might just be learning a new way to um, isolate your uh, class two composites, or it might just be um, going and taking a course on uh, bonding agents, or it might be, you know, reading a journal uh, on, on something for the first time. Um, it's not about uh, some specific technique or some specific place that you get to that you can say, oh, I'm at the next level now. It's just uh, this continuous journey of of trying to figure out what is the next step I need to take in order to get to the place that I want to end up, which is where I can say, you know, I could actually tell someone else how to do this and feel comfortable that I'm telling them like, this is really the best way. So if you're not at a point where somebody asks you, hey, what's the best way to do something? If you can't answer that, you know, with with good, you know, really, you know, validated answers, then figure that out. Let's, how do we figure that out? And, and, you know, that's what next level is about. It's, it's trying to figure out where do you start? And what we hope with our podcast is that some of the things that we are going to teach or we're going to talk about or discuss are going to be the highest level, you know, the highest level possible. Then some of the things we're going to talk about are just going to be really basic sounding, but Honestly, those things make the biggest difference sometimes day to day. Both of those things are the next level, but both of them are very different. And I think it's about that mindset and, and just choosing that mindset every day 
um, of, of, of challenging yourself and challenging the people around you, challenging your team. And then it's really cool what starts to happen over time. If you take that and really run with it, you know, you start to have people in your practice, your team members, even your patients who, who kind of expect that from you, you know, and they actually come to you because you're that way. And that's when it really gets fun and it takes time to get there. But man, does it, does it pay off in the end with, with so much fun and so much, you know, success that you can potentially have. Um, and just the feeling of knowing, Hey, like I really do know how to do this. And I, I feel like I could have a conversation with that person that's speaking on the stage right now about this. And it could be a good conversation. That's something that I think really, um, we're striving for and we're hoping to, you know, inspire people to, to start moving that direction. And so maybe for somebody, I'm just thinking of everyone graduating next year, or maybe not even those, but everybody in dental school. So not everybody necessarily is going to have a, you know, a podcast where they go in and talk about these things, but what would you say, like, what's the best way for somebody to go out and kind of find a Wesley or find a John, their own John or their own Wesley? Um, it's somebody to just back, uh, bounce ideas off of, I know you mentioned group practices earlier, but what, like, you know, finding them at CE, like, uh, we mentioned, or what, what would, what would you say are the best ways to find people? Well, the, the thing that is, is that the more you surround yourself with people that are better than you, okay? So the more you put yourself in the presence of expert minds, you start to meet people. But there's, it's not happenstance that John and I met each other, okay? It is, but, it, but here's how it happened. Right. It happened because we put ourselves, like that World Congress, I mean... I can think, I can tell you right now who was there. You know, it was the best. It was the best minds. And to people we still listen to today, Lyndon Cooper, Albertson, uh, Picos. And, and I'll never forget, you know, uh, Jason, remember pulling Picos over by the, uh, after his lecture, John, and he was like, let me ask you about these things. And Picos was just like, yeah, let's talk about that. And like, yeah. whenever you find somebody that is interested in the same things, um, you immediately gravitate to that person, but it really starts by just going ahead and putting yourself around people yeah. like that. And I think when the way you say you John, I mean that, that's probably like, the best way. And I think the practical <clears throat> side to that would be things like I'll give you a few few things to consider. One is becoming a part of a specialist study club. So there will be specialists probably near you. Um, that are doing some type of study club. A common one would be an implant study club. Many implant surgeons um, will put on study clubs for their referring doctors, and they'll bring in some speakers, mm -hmm. sometimes locally, sometimes regionally. Um, and, you know, sometimes you got to pay a little bit of money to be a part of it, uh, sometimes not. And you start to find out who shows up to those study clubs time and time again. Um, you can go and join a spear study club and we're not paid by spear or anything, which is, but that's an example, you know, spear education, uh, has study clubs around the nation that are, that have popped, that pop up, usually run by a couple of specialists. Um, and the specialists that start a spear study club typically are people who want to do more comprehensive, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary types of dentistry. So they tend to be people who care. Um, and, uh, they attract, you know, general dentists who want to be involved with that. You go show up at some study club meetings. You start to see some of the same people 
um, that's a great place to start that's, that's local. Now, you can go to regional meetings also. Uh, you can go and, and uh, do that if you're close to a meeting. You might meet somebody that you could keep a, uh, up a relationship with. But I think when you talk about local day-to-day, um, it's, it's people that are near you are the easiest, you know, because you're going to see them at events. Um, I think, you know, the more meetings, though, that you go to, the more, the more you get outside of your bubble and you just find people, like Wes said, that are smarter than you, better than you, or just on the same journey, and you start to see people kind of come up time and time again. Now, there are online communities that, that you know, that's gotten better. Um, and I think you can find people nowadays more that'll, that'll be online. But I really think, and this is, you know, maybe makes us sound old, but I really think we're right about this, that I think that the online is so very hard to figure out because so is so much a display of the things we want people to see. And when you are living in that world, it's very difficult to see who's legit and who's not. When you sit down with somebody and you can look at them and you can talk with them, they can show you some stuff they're doing and what they're struggling with or what they know. You either um, can see how genuine they are. You can yeah, see right through yeah. them. So yeah. online is not a bad thing. And I think there's some good mentorship you can get from forums and maybe some of these Facebook groups and things like that. But I think we have to be careful with that because I think that still, you know, the most the most learning that we really do is is conversation and it's conversation and it's showing what's really going on in our practices. And it's then, you know, finding out, well, what's the next smartest person I need to go sit under and, you know, finding people that that have that mindset of wanting to be better. And, and I think you can find them, but it takes some time and you just got to, you just got to get out of your bubble. And that's, what's hard. The first few years you're working hard, you know, uh, you're working hard and you, you want to just, you know, just keep your nose down a lot of times, but I think if you choose to get outside of that and try to start with study clubs, maybe regional meetings, um, I think you're going to start to find some people that just keep coming up. I think the hard thing, too, is that Dennis' personality is not driven to come out of a box. You know, most of us um, have a personality that is more introverted. You know, you have to force yourself to get out, you know, and you're not willing to, and you're a little bit more reserved per se. And there might be some people listening, well, that's not me, you know, but most people are. And so most people clam up and they don't, they go to the meeting just for the sea and they leave as soon as it's over. And, you know, I think we've um, kind of talked a lot about, you know, over our career that, um, that the average, you know, dentists, they're just not going to see anymore, you know, and, uh, you know, where are they getting it at? You know, they're getting at just a local meeting and they're kind of held to the local standard of care. And sometimes that's amazing because depending on who you have around you. But like one of my greatest mentors who passed away, Eric Honest. And, and I, I hung out with him. Like John said, I went and hung out with my periodontist on Fridays and watched him do surgery. And how much did he teach me in between patients and during patients? It's unbelievable what you can learn. And then they introduce you your age or like-minded and then you just hit it off you know so um it's that's kind of our journey per se as far as like how to find somebody like a john or a wes in your life yeah it's pretty funny back at the the beginning there you mentioned lyndon cooper and i'm I'm not sure if y'all know he's a former unc guy yeah we know exactly oh yeah yeah. 
We've been there. Taught our uh, few lectures in our biochem class. Christian, is that first semester, second semester of dental school? Yeah, yeah. He was here for like one semester. Um, a lot of the yeah, let's say. Then he left. And so I'm like looking back, like we were all sitting there like, oh, biochem, this is the worst. Like, give me some dentistry, yada, yada, yada. Now, I've, you know, his name has come up in like four or five interviews now. I'm like, oh, man, we missed yep. so much. Yeah, yeah, you just have no idea sometimes who these people are at that point in your career. I totally, totally know what you mean. Yeah, one yeah. of our best buddies here locally, his, he was friends and rode bikes with uh, one of a person that we interviewed that that's now like a zirconium, like, or zirconia like king and we're like man you rode bikes with that guy he's like i know i didn't even know who i was talking to you know <laughs> right so. yeah yeah a lot of everybody used to tell us that he was awesome instructor in clinic uh you know teaching third and fourth year um you know in, in the clinics and so we never got to uh experience him from that side and yeah i think we got a couple lectures from him in uh in in, in biochem and i think he was a little too smart for us and we none of us really paid attention <laughs> Unfortunately, um, That's awesome. and so yeah, and 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 so I guess going towards that uh, that that kind of side, you know, we've been touching on this kind of all night and, and bouncing around it, but you know, of course, our listeners are the the recent graduates, the the you know the dental school students, the soon to be graduates, and as I mentioned, a lot of them are listening to you guys' podcast and trying to put these things into practice on a daily basis. And so when it comes to the early dentist, the young dentist skill set, what do you all feel like is the the most foundational, the most important, uh, the most um, critical skills for a young dentist to have coming out of school? And uh, what do you see, I guess, that's lacking from that perspective? Like technical skill or yeah, is that so what you're asking? If, if, if a young dentist is coming out of school and you're like, okay, guy, girl, you need to learn this before you do anything else. Yeah, that's a great that's, question. That's a great I, I think question. that I think there's two there's two answers that I'll give to that from from my perspective. Um, I think that the thing we tell most new graduates when they ask us that question is we tell them to get really good at basic dentistry. And what I mean by that would be everyday dentistry that that really is like considered the bread and butter of dentistry. So this is crown preparations, crown preparations, deposit dentistry, uh, knowing how to prep teeth, knowing how to restore teeth, knowing how to do excellent root canals, um, knowing how to do molar root canals with efficiency, uh, learning how to uh, take an excellent impression for dental partial, knowing how to take teeth out. If you can get good at those basic skills um, and, and focus on that, it's very cost effective to get good at those things because there are many courses you can take that are just from, say, regional meetings that you can go to like the Hinman or Chicago Midwinter. And you can get some very good education on those things and become an expert at bonding, become an expert at crown preparations. And those things aren't sexy. You know, that's the thing we've talked about with uh, a couple of different podcasts, but those things are not sexy. They're not whiz bang. They're not going to be on a Facebook group, but they're the things that really, if you get, if you're not good at them, you're going to have a lot of frustration from your patient or your crowns are coming off or you can't get the tooth out and you have to call the oral surgeon or you refer all your molar endo to the endodontist and you never get better at it. If you want to build a successful practice in the first 
three years or so. Those are the things, in my opinion, to focus on now. If you really, really want to skyrocket your skill level quickly besides that and you are willing to invest money, in my opinion, it would be going and taking an excellent treatment planning and uh, workshop series such as what Kois, Spear, Dawson, Panky, any of the big institutes will teach you how to do proper treatment planning comprehensively for uh, more involved and bigger cases dealing with things like where teeth that are out of position, uh, how to integrate implants with uh, natural teeth, um, and how to treat cases that need orthodontics. Uh, not necessarily that you're doing the orthodontics, but just how to, how to really treatment plan. And I think that though, if, if you're willing to invest, cost money for that second part. It's not cheap. It's probably going to cost you $20,000, $25,000 over, over a few years uh, to really get it what, where, where you need to, to where it's not super spread out. Um, that's going to put you in a place in the first three to five years of practice as you are starting to develop relationships with your patients that when they start to trust you from the good basic dentistry that you've done in the first few years, by the time you understand that treatment planning and you're through some of those continuums and you're getting really good at that, the patient trust is going to be there and they're going to be willing to, I, in my opinion, say yes to that dentistry. So I really think that's my approach to it. And even if you just want to get really good at basic dentistry, I think that can be a great place to start um, in your first uh, first couple of years and, and then go from there when you feel like you're ready to take that step into more complex dentistry. I think interweaved in that, and, and if you listen to our show, you're probably hearing some of the same things here, but I think it's important that those basic things become foundational to advanced course because if Anytime we're in an advanced course, it blows my mind when people ask basic dentistry questions. And, and I'm thinking, man, we should have already, we're past that. And I understand some people at different levels, but they made it to that level and they're taking that course. So what we're saying is, is that don't jump to 150 miles per hour. You know, we're saying nail down the basics. And then the next thing is learn how to treatment plan and talk to people. And then I guess to add to what John says um, is some of the best influencers in how I run my practice taught me how to talk to my team and how to treat my team. And those are people like Sally McKenzie, Linda Miles um, early on. And then everybody is concerned about how to do payroll and how to be a human resources manager and how to, you know, what do I need for this and what do I need for that? You know, what I would recommend is, again, spend a little money and hire somebody like a good accountant, a good financial planner, and pair those two people together and let them run your business and help you. Because you can't be, as we've said, a visionary, a manager, and a technician. Forget it. There's three things that, you know, that's what causes a business to fail. And that'll drive you insane. Only, only a few people can be all those things. So we know if you're going to make money, you have to be a technician. So either you're going to be a manager and a technician, or you're going to be a visionary and a technician. So choose two and do it well. And, and you will succeed. Some people can only do one of those, and that's okay. Just be self-aware 
of what it takes. And you need somebody to tell you what you are. You need somebody that's an advisor, a business advisor. And it doesn't have to be somebody specifically dental. That does help. John and I have had both. We lean towards more of the dental specific. But I would recommend that you pair yourself up with that. That way you can become a technician and hand that off for a while. Right. And we're assuming by saying that that you are – that's if you are going right into ownership. You know, if you are – going into owning a practice, then that, that applies to you. You know, if you're going to be an associate or practicing for someone else, um, then, then, you know, focusing just on continuing education, um, is fine. You just practice on better and being a better technician and you may be given managerial roles in that, as that associate, but you're never going to be a visionary in that practice. You're going to be a visionary for your personal growth. And so that's where you concentrate is your personal growth. If you're an associate and maybe you learn how to do some management. Depends on what the boss wants you to do if you're an associate. But I would become an excellent technician. Yeah. How do you think that kind of, you know, we're talking about these foundational treatment planning, um, CE courses, and building your career from there. How do you think that applies to people who are going into specialties? Like, Do you find oh, you think that those courses would be equally as, as beneficial for someone yeah. going into, you know? Let me just jump in here. Let me just jump in here and say this, is that if you get a specialist, that knows how to do proper treatment planning, it'll blow your mind with treatment. It it, it is so much easier to communicate um, with a specialist that has went to this course with you. For instance, our periodontist that we work with here locally goes to those courses. And it is so much easier for me to have a conversation with that person than a person that doesn't. So whenever I do facially generated treatment planning or some type of Um, hey, here's where the incisal edge position should be, and based on that, I need these things. You almost feel like that you're driving the specialist, And, and, and that's okay sometimes, but man, whenever they understand that that treatment planning, um, method, and they are working together with you, man, my cases just goes so much better. One thing that Frank Spear um, said when we interviewed him that uh, made him a better dentist is that he got on board with his specialist and learned together how to do treatment planning. And like they said, basically, we're going to sit around and we're going to figure this out together. Yeah, and I think that if you are a a specialist... um, and you have that skill set, uh, you know, and th- this again, I'm, I'm going to kind of go the other direction from West, but still say the same thing. The truth is, the sad truth is most general dentists don't care. Don't. And so if you are a specialist, what comes to you? Say you're the orthodontist as an example. OK, when the referral sheet shows up for that adult patient that has a really complicated treatment plan that they need. It, what does it say from the general dentist? 99% of the time it says braces or ortho. <laughs> That's it. No guidance, no direction, no treatment plan. When this implant surgeon gets the referral for the, for the you know, 10 implants that that patient's need, patient needs with extremely complicated occlusal scheme, teeth that are in all in the wrong places, what does it say? It says implants. So if you are a specialist that has treatment planning knowledge, 
The truth is you are doing most of the treatment planning for a lot of your dentists anyway, because they don't know what they're doing. So if you have that knowledge, you will crush it as a specialist because every general dentist wants their hand held. Most of them do. And they want somebody to say, hey, here's an idea I have of maybe how we could restore this case. What do you think? And if the specialist has the ability to communicate about those things, their practice from a business standpoint will stand out in a tremendous, tremendous way. And the specialist that we use, one in particular, um, has a practice like that. It's a multi-doctor uh, oral surgery practice that places a ton of implants. And one of the reasons they place a ton of implants is because they have the knowledge to be able to pull off the restorative treatment planning and their restorative dentists are so confident in that that they will allow those, those oral surgeons to do a lot of their treatment planning for them. Now, I'm not saying that's the way I want to do it, but the truth is, again, from a perspective of practicality uh, and from a perspective of doing the best thing for your patient, if you want to do the best possible dentistry as a specialist, you need to understand treatment planning at the level that a restorative dentist does. You really do, if that's, if that's your goal. And if your goal is just to do well from a business standpoint, it's going to really be huge when you can say, you know what, I do, you just, if you say implants and that's all you tell me, I can actually come up with a treatment plan myself and I can run it by you and then we can actually get some dentistry done. Whereas if they don't, if no one knows how to treatment plan, well, who's going to treatment plan? Somebody's got to do it. And sometimes it comes down to the specialist, whether we like it or not. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, John and I refer orth adult ortho all the time, and when we refer, the case has already been accepted. And when, the same thing with dental implants, the same gentleman he's talking about, the same oral surgeon, we treatment plan the restorative, and in fact, we have his surgical fees right in front of us. And so whenever the patient walks into his office, they're actually coming back to me and say, yeah, he said what you said, and I, you know, I don't even know why I had to go over there because I'm ready for surgery, you know? And so that is so powerful because it's almost like you're kind of, you, you have just such harmony. Um, and so to answer your question in short, does a specialist benefit from the treatment planning courses where it teaches these methods? Hands down, 100% yes. Mm, great stuff. Yeah, that's, that's valuable content right there. Um, yeah, take, take that to the bank. <laughs> And, um, you know, we definitely want to be respectful of you all's time. And we had, uh, had, had some things we want to get to, but, uh, want to let you all get back to your families and back to your lives. So, uh, to wrap we'll things up. We have to get around too. <laughs> right, right. Got to get around to it at some point. Um, but, uh, uh to, to wrap things up and the question that we asked all of our guests is something that we call the three stages. And so, if you two gentlemen could offer a piece of advice for a dental student at three different stages of their school career, what would it be? And those stages are the very first day of dental school. Second stage is right when they're getting into clinic. And the third is the day after they graduate. What kind of advice would you offer those three stages? <laughs> John, the first like, day of dental school, woo, you said, first right? Day. First day, yeah. clinic, clinic induction. First day and of clinic, and then the day after they graduate. Okay. Absolutely. The day after. Well, I think <laughs> the, the first day 
of dental school, I mean, what piece of advice I would give is, you know, you're, you're going to make it, you know, you're going to, you're going to make it cause you're going to feel like you're not going to make it and, and that's okay. And, uh, that you're going to make it through this and, uh, you know, just work hard, man. And you're going to make it. And I think that's something that depending on where you go to school and I know where I went to school, there were days I didn't always know if I was going to make it. And I think just having that, uh, Hey, you know, that perspective, you're going to get there is big. The day, the day you, uh, start clinic, you know, I, I think that, uh, just telling somebody that everybody's been here in this same place and it never feels comfortable. You know, it never feels like, you know what you're doing. Uh, you know, you don't want to tell the patient that, but you really don't feel like you know what you're doing. And it's all about repetition. I think I would, that would be my advice is no one ever feels ready. Uh, you're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing and that's okay. It's all about repetition. You'll, you, you will, uh, you're in the same boat as everybody else. And that's, that's, it's normal to feel that way. In fact, I would say it would, if it would be weird if you weren't feeling nervous, because if you're feeling nervous because you care. And when you graduate, the day after you graduate, I think I would say, you know, it's not over. You know, this, it's not over. Um, think of all the things that made you crazy about wanting to get out of school. And it's kind of like your parents say sometimes. Um, you're going to look back in a few years on some of the things that you were told and some of the really hard times you had and people that really just, you know, you felt like were just really just busting on you. And you're going to realize that a lot of those people were right and that, uh, hard discipline and, um, you know, sometimes pulling out a textbook, pulling out a journal, even though you may never want to see another one in your life. Usually you find out that they were a lot smarter than what, what you thought. And, uh, so don't, don't, uh, be too quick to dismiss that and just keep on, keep on learning. So as I've had time to let John talk off the cuff, I'm sitting here writing my thesis. <laughs> um, so first day, I would say the overriding advice I would give is one goal at a time, one day at a time. So whatever it is that you've got ahead of you, focus on that because you can get overwhelmed with the fact that you might not make it. And so you take one studying session at a time, you take one test at a time, and you just keep chipping away. And you stay consistent and you just stay at it and keep your head down because there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it just seems like sometimes in that first year or two, my goodness, am I ever going to get through this? And it's just one goal at a time. Um, you know, the first time you get into the clinic, after the clinical induction ceremony, to me, that's an exciting time. And I think that from a standpoint of what I would say as a piece of advice is that you would exude confidence to your instructors, confidence that you're ready to move into this realm of clinical den dentistry. Yes, you're going to be nervous, and but be forward with your instructor about what you're doing and what you're going to do today and say, I don't know how to do that. Can you show me? Can you tell me? Uh, be be confident in your and be direct and, um, and you know, you'll find consistency in that. Um, and then the day after dental school, you know, I always said, and it'll be easier next year. It'll be easier because I'll make it through the second year and it'll be easier when I get into the clinic. It'll be easier. And you know what? 
it, it seems like it might get easier, but there always is going to be a challenge. And don't get bogged down in the challenge because it always, it'll always work out. And so the, the challenge that you have when you get out of dental school, you know, uh, Christian, I, I saw your email here, says you're graduating this, this coming May. Right, class of 2019. Is that is yeah, that true? Right, right. Yep. Uh, Michael, are you graduating as well? Yep, same. That's that's awesome, man. So, like the day after you guys get out of school, my advice is that there will be challenges, just like there was that first day. And it's one goal at a time. Work towards the goal and finish it, and just keep chipping away and don't get bogged down. And uh, that's my advice. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Well, the dental guys, Dr. West Mullins and Dr. John Rogers, really appreciate you all. Uh, like I said, definitely going to be tuning in uh, to you all's podcast over the next uh, however many episodes. And um, really appreciate you all coming on tonight and, and spreading some wisdom to our uh, young clinicians. It's our pleasure. We really appreciate yeah. you inviting us. Thanks for the opportunity. Happy to do it. And that was the dental guys, Dr. Wes Mullins and Dr. John Rogers, dropping some clinical nuggets for all of our young clinicians. And, uh, oh, yeah, I, I wasn't joking. You know, a lot of people that I talk to around school or listen to the podcast and have received a lot of value from uh, from their content. So if you all have not checked them out yet, then definitely head over and uh, take a listen to a couple, uh, some of their episodes. Definitely some valuable information. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just a couple of guys where we really can sit down and say, like, you know, I hope I hope that's the kind of clinician I am one day who you know keeps up on the forefront of everything and provides you know the most exceptional care to our patients. So it's somebody you can really look up to and, and learn a lot from, and just like I did tonight. Yeah, exactly right. And and like I was saying, you know, a lot of times I feel like we get so caught up in the business side and and uh, you know how to excel on, on that front which is awesome and you know this is the student entrepreneurs and dentistry podcast you know where we're all about that <laughs> but we <laughs> but you know we, we can't uh, neglect and forget about what it takes to be an excellent clinician uh in in practice so uh as always thank you all so much for listening we really appreciate it please please head over and uh, drop us a five-star review and uh, tell us what you think about our podcast we'd love to hear what you think for michael talupas and christian hart Thanks so much. Thanks, y'all.